Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning again. Uh, I'm Ben, I'm the lead pastor, and I've been in Israel, uh, which was fun. In fact, I, I uh, was telling some people I, I come from a Jewish background. I was going to visit the homeland of my people. They thought it was South Florida, but it's uh, actually Israel. Uh, there are some Jewish people there as well. And I think that oftentimes, uh, you know, people from Jewish background, we get a little bit of a bad rap of being, you know, all about business or money. But I noticed that my Arab cousins do pretty well with this uh, as well. In fact, I was dri- we were driving on the Israeli-Jordanian border, and uh, I, w- I had data roaming and actually got on the Jord- accidentally got on the Jordanian cell carrier, and it was $10 a megabyte for data. And I didn't realize that I had been on Jordanian data. And so there's going to be two offerings today. I just want to let you know uh, up front. The second one is just going to be for my data overages. Uh, well, uh, by the way, too, is uh, the creativity uh, was, a little, was over on uh, the West Bank area as well. And uh, there's no Starbucks in Israel or, or the West Bank. But I noticed over in the, the Palestinian territories in Ramallah and Bethlehem, uh, they did have a coffee company that was vaguely familiar. In fact, I take a look up on the screen here. Can you see that? <laughs> Stars and Bucks Cafe. Uh, and yeah, it was, uh, and I know some of you are, are thinking, hey, uh, why doesn't Starbucks sue them for infringement? Good luck uh, suing the PLO and getting uh, some money out of that one. But it, it it was encouraging to see really what's happening there. And in fact, there's lots of tour groups that go there on really a a spiritual faith journey. And one of the problems that they're having today is uh, just uh, the numbers, the hundreds, the thousands of people who are coming from new countries. And in fact, uh, there's so many Chinese Christians coming now that they don't have enough uh, tour guides. And uh, 30 years ago, if you would have looked at that and said, hey, just the number of people, but it's what God is doing throughout the world. And sometimes we don't get that perspective. Uh, In fact, uh, especially up here in the Northwest, I shared this story when I first came here. uh, One guy sat me down and he said, I know you think, you know, you're going to reach people for Jesus, but that's not how it works in Seattle. And I'm like, you know, I don't think God got to King County and said, nope, can't do that. (laughs) And uh, uh, so I told him that. I'm shocked. He does no longer go to the church. I can't believe that. Uh, But uh, see, I believe that God can do uh, miracles. That that faith is not for just 30 years ago or 2,000 years ago, but that God is real and active today. Now, in that, I know that there are naysayers along the way. 
There are those people who would say, hey, faith is fantasy. And in fact, as we look at uh, some naysayer statements uh, over the next few weeks, people say things like, hey, uh, people don't change. You're, you'll never get ahead. No one will ever understand. Today, I want to start uh, with faith as fantasy. And if you've been around here, especially our last series, this is going to seem like a little bit of a hard turn. Because we went through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter in the Bible. And we love love. And that's great because it says God is love. But, but I think it's also important to understand uh, some of the, the basis for our faith. And uh, you say, well, what does it matter? G.K. Chesterton, uh, a great thinker and philosopher from the last century, uh, he said this, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And don't we see that today? In fact, we see statements people will make about God, and it's really more a pantheism than it is an atheism. Now, we all have faith struggles. In fact, we're going to look primarily at First and Second Peter. Uh, Peter was uh, a follower of Jesus, the most famous one. He was the one who said at one point, uh, when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? He said, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, you got it. And he had great triumphs of faith. There were other times where he struggled. When Jesus was arrested, he denied Jesus three times. One time to, to like a, a little 12-year-old girl. And so he had those struggles as well. And it's because of his struggles, I think, he writes so eloquently on, uh, on faith and how we can have uh, really a faith that makes sense. He says this in first, or 2 Peter 1.12. He says, so while I, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you knew, now have. Now, why does he want to remind? Because he knows that there will be those struggles of faith. There will be those times when faith will seem a little bit elusive, when we'll go through uh, areas of challenge. Or maybe it's just the naysayers. Uh, who will uh, come along the way. And you might be here and say, uh, hey, hey, Ben, I, I'm, I'm not even sure where I'm at in my faith. In fact, uh, we have this all the time here. There will be uh, on our campuses probably hundreds of people, if you include all five campus, who, who say, you know, I'm not quite there yet as a Christ follower. In fact, uh, I, I got an email three weeks ago from someone, a guy who said, hey, I love the church, but uh, I just want to know if it's okay if I go to the church uh, because I'm an atheist. And I said, hey, it's no problem. Now, it could be a problem for your atheism. You might, you know, end up changing that along the way because that's what often happens when we come with an open mind. Now, what are some of the, the, the naysayer statements uh, that people will say about faith? It'll be things like this. Oh, it's, faith is it's for weak people. And there's some truth in this, by the way. God will often use moments of struggle and transition to get our attention. I mean, you think about that in any area of life. Some of the greatest changes, they don't come out of your victories. They come out of those moments 
when your, your faith is tested, when your, your will is tested. And uh, now, but it's not for just simple people. Some people say, you know, faith is for, you know, just people who aren't that smart. Now, if you look uh, just from a historical perspective, Simon Greenleaf, one of the greatest legal minds of, uh, in America, he was from a Jewish background as well. He looked at evidence for Christian faith from a legal perspective, and he ended up becoming a Christ follower. Uh, Josh McDowell, he wrote 1,500 pages. He was trying to disprove Christian faith, evidence that demands a verdict. And he said, no, this makes sense. Lee Strobel, who was a, a legal reporter for the Chicago Union Tribune. Francis Collins, who headed the Human Genome Project, probably knows more about genetics, definitely than any of us in this room, maybe anyone in our country or the world, uh, has a PhD in physical chemistry from Yale. That wasn't enough, and so he got an MD as well. So the guy knows maybe a little bit about science, would you think? And yet... That wasn't a barrier. Actually, that helped led him to faith in Jesus Christ. Other people will say this. Uh, all religions are basically the same. Uh, and uh, now, you may have even said this. And we hear this. You'll hear this at work. You know, uh, so, and the, the people who always say this, uh, and, and I, I don't want to be mean about it, but it's not people of deep faith. No person of deep and I. I, I don't care if you're a Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, Jewish, Christian. No person of deep faith would ever say that. You go to Israel, and people aren't walking around saying, ah, you know, we're all basically the same. No, the, the, the Arabs and the Jews and the Christians, they understand the differences. Now, should we live in peace? Absolutely. But uh, it, it would be like saying that uh, Gandhi is like Pol Pot or Hitler is like Abraham Lincoln because they all were political. No, it's not all the same at all. Or, or maybe people say Christianity is old-fashioned. And usually what this means, uh, it it's, has to do more with a, a moral objection, not that people believe that Christianity is immoral, but uh, that I live my life in such a way or I believe something about life that doesn't line up with the Bible. And this is, I, I got to tell you, this is where I have a little hard time because intelligent people like like you, smart people, this is where we check our brain at the door. And we think that just because I don't like something, it can't be true. And now, now think about that. I've said this before. Can something be true and you not like it? Like, for example, uh, when I went to Israel, we had amazing desserts. Baklava. I don't like the fact baklava has a lot of calories. And so I could have said, it is not true. But no, it does, even though I don't like the fact that, hey, you know, I ate 30 pounds of baklava while I was there. And so, so the real question for you is, can you engage with a truth that challenges you, uh, maybe in some area where, where you don't agree with it, or, or you maybe even know it's true, but it just, you're going to keep on doing what you're doing. And then a fourth question, and I think this is actually a pretty good one, actually, is how can you really know? And that's what I want to look at today, is how uh, you can really know uh, and have a stronger faith. And you might say, hey, Ben, you know, this is, this is not a big deal for me because uh, I don't need, you know, any great evidences. I just know God is real in my life. And, and I think that's awesome. But I, I want to challenge you to go a little further. Uh, 
because there will be times when maybe life is difficult or there's a, a faith question or doubt, uh, doubt or challenge. And it's in those moments we need something a little bit deeper, uh, a little bit stronger. Or maybe it's just, you know, dealing with people and you, people, you go to work and not everyone's going to share your faith, obviously. And here's what uh, Peter said. He knew we would face this. And uh, so he says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Will you underline gentleness and respect? See, this is where uh, I think uh, some Christians get it wrong. Uh, they would rather make a point than make a difference. They would rather win an argument than help someone along in their faith. And if you're here and you say, man, I'm not there yet in faith, or I don't know if I'll ever be there, I just want you to know RMO is gentleness and respect. And, and really, I love what it says in the book of Isaiah in the Bible. Come, let us reason together. See, today's goal is this, is that you would have a more confident faith that you would have a more confident faith in Jesus Christ. Well, how do we have that? Uh, the first one is we just simply need to be smart, but be God smart. See, we, we think we're smart, especially guys tend to, well, we can have a problem here in terms of we sometimes think we're smarter than we are. There was actually a, a, an article that talked about a dating website. They did a survey of thousands of people, and they asked certain questions of the participants in the dating website. One was, uh, do you are you a genius? Do you consider yourself a genius? And over two out of five men, over 40% of the men said, well, if you're really going to press me on this... I am a genius. I am a genius. Uh, the real number is less than one in a thousand. But, uh, but, but we, we can sometimes overestimate ourselves. Instead of understanding that, that being smart is, is not whether you're a genius or not, it's growing uh, in knowledge. That's why Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and goodness knowledge. Underline knowledge, if you would. Well, what are some good things for us to know? Uh, some good things for us to know along the way are, one is history. Now, Christianity is a historical faith. If you're a student of religion, you need, there are some religions that are actually more philosophies that are really not based in, in historical events. Uh, in fact, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are really what would be called the, the historical religions where it's not a philosophy, it's an event that happened, and particularly uh, Christianity. In fact, when you go to Israel, you can, when you're there, you, we visit places where, hey, it, it talks about in the Bible. N no serious student of history would doubt uh, the historical foundations of, of Christianity. It's on, it's on the level of being like a Holocaust denier. See, uh, the, the historical evidence is absolutely overwhelming. If you have an objection to Christianity, it's certainly not going to be on history. And, and in fact, the last hundred years, archaeology, there's not been one archaeological dig that's disproven anything in the Bible 
but there have been dozens that have confirmed what we find in the Scripture. One example, uh, when we first uh, visited, first place we went was Caesarea uh, by the sea, and when we were there, uh, we saw the great amphitheaters and all of that, and there was uh, a, a, the place where they found a inscription to Pontius Pilate. And you're saying, well, why is that a big deal? Pontius Pilate is the one who sentenced Jesus to death. Well, uh, many people doubted that Pontius Pilate was a historical figure. Now, part of this is just understanding ancient history. Ancient history, you don't learn a lot about people four or five dev levels down in a kingdom or government. And he was just a provincial governor in Judea. So, of course, it wouldn't be kept in the Roman records, but they uncovered an inscription in 1961. Uh, and it was dated back, the stone tablet was dated back to the, the time of Jesus, and it was to Pontius Pilate, the governor of Judea. And again and again, in fact, I've said this one before, this is one of my favorites, uh, the Hittites. People said there's no such thing as Hittites. Have you ever met a Hittite? Any of you have a Hittite neighbor? No, no, no one. Are any of you part Hittite? No, no one said, okay, the Hittites are mythical people, and the Bible's a mythical book. 1906, what did they uncover, a Hittite city? No, 40 of them. In fact, at one point, I don't know if you still can, you could get a PhD in Hittite studies from the University of Chicago. Now, I'm not sure what you do with that degree, uh, but uh, see, and, and for centuries, people doubted it exists, and there's example after example. I could literally give you a dozen more where it's just confirmed everything you read in the Scripture. And then there's also prophecy. And this is where, okay, what, you know, what do you mean by that? Well, this is a foretelling of events. Uh, in fact, there's 300 prophecies around the birth of Christ. Some, you know, what nation he'd be born in, what town he'd be born in, things way out of his control. And yet, they all, it, it almost seems miraculous because it is that God just wants to give us that confirmation. In fact, you don't even need to look at the New Testament. Look at the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 26 it talks about uh, the city of uh, Tyre and, and King Goodyear, which is almost like a prophecy there in itself, Goodyear, King of Tyre. And so, uh, the, uh, but, uh, so uh, how the city would be completely destroyed and never rebuilt, and, and we signed, that's exactly what happened. And so there's a sense of, okay, uh, and then there's uh, we read it. It says in Second uh, Peter 1, uh, 19, it says, we also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, all, uh, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We also have uh, Scripture, and uh, now, now this is, uh, I started with history and prophecy because even if you don't believe in Scripture, you'd have to say, okay, I understand these are confirmations, but also confirm the Bible. And now the Bible, uh, there's claims within a piece of literature. And uh, there's some literature, they don't claim to speak for God, but in the Bible we read uh, in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And God breathed means that God inspired someone to write it. And uh, we see that, that the Scripture accurately represents God. And 
again, from antiquity, one of the places we visited uh, was the old Qumran communities. Uh, and it's, what they found there was uh, almost a complete copy of the book of Isaiah that was a thousand years older than they had ever found a copy of the book of Isaiah. Inter one of the most controversial pieces of scripture because many people would say, well, you know, the Isaiah we find today because it contains so many prophecies around uh, the coming of uh, the Messiah and Jesus, maybe people manipulated it. But in 1947, they find this, and guess what that book of Isaiah? It's pretty much like the book of Isaiah you find right in your Bible. And so we can say, okay, you know, maybe there's some accuracy uh, to the scripture. In fact, if you, I did a whole message on this, and it, just the way, you know, the unity of the text, the, uh, the way the scribes that count every uh, word on the page and make sure the center letter, letter was lined up in the middle of the page. I mean, it was like, if you have OCD, this would be like the perfect job for you. And, and it was, they wanted to make sure everything was accurate. And then part of it, like J.B. Phillips said, is a ring, just a ring of truth. And, and uh, it's sort of like this. I, I've shared these before, but these statements, they just seem true. The rich rule over the poor, the borrower servant, servant to the lender. Does that seem like a true statement? Yeah. Uh, love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. We see that. True statement. In your time of need, better to go to a neighbor near than a relative who lives far away. Yeah, because we know our relatives can be cheap and won't help out, right? Uh, <laughs> It says, speak the whole truth and tell it in love. Does that make sense? Yeah. Better to live on the corner of your roof than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. <laughs> I, I didn't write that. But, okay, I'm having a little fun here. But, uh, the, uh, but, but the truth is, is if you read uh, the Scripture, I mean, every once in a while I'll just hear this. Well, I don't believe the Bible. Have you read it? Well, no, but I just know it's not true. Well, come on. You, you would never try, go ahead and take a graduate level course and try that with a professor. I haven't read the book, but I disagree with it. No, I, I'm saying is if you read it with an open mind, I just think you'll find a ring of truth in it. And then there's uh, science in relation to faith. Again, I did a whole message on this uh, because I could actually do a whole series on this. I, it, it's important to understand just how faith and science work together. Let me put it this way. In a biology class, would you uh, think you would learn a lot about philosophy or English? No, right? In a philosophy class, am I going to learn a lot about chemistry? No. They're different disciplines, correct? And so, J.P. Moreland, who writes about the philosophy of science, he, he says this, about 95% of science doesn't have much to do with the Bible. And 95% of the Bible doesn't have much to do with science. It's not that they're, they're uh, proving each other wrong, they're just different disciplines. And, and in fact, many of you have heard this statement. You've heard this, I mean, I went to a secular university. I went to the University of Washington and, you know, we didn't pray before classes with a professor. And, uh, but I, I would hear statements like this is, uh, well, I only, the only things that are true are those that can be scientifically proven. 
And that, uh, now hold, hold with me a little bit. People call this a positivist principle. And that's, you're, you're making this statement that the statement itself is self-contradictory. You, know, you, you see what I'm saying? Because that's not a scientific statement. That's a philosophical statement. So the statement in and itself can't be proven scientifically. You see what I'm saying? So you have to understand the difference in discipline. And a lot of us, we've just heard, now the 5% that overlap, there can be some challenges. For example, uh, the miraculous is a big one. Okay, uh, miracles, because they're breaks in the natural order, they cannot be repeated. Uh, so, for example, when Jesus healed someone, do you know why everyone came around him? It's not because people were uh, miraculously healed all the time. It was because it was something supernatural that happened. And so when we understand that, because I don't believe in creation. And, and part of it is, one, not understanding the biblical literature. Genesis 1 and 2 almost seems like two different creation accounts. They're really not. Genesis 1 is a chant and a song. It's really, uh, and then Genesis 2 is more a history. So there, there are two different perspectives on a creation account. And people will hold different views. One is uh, young earth creationism. And uh, Adam was created a full-grown man. And so even though the earth was only, you know, thousands of years old, it appears older because age was attached to it when God created. And there's Christians who believe that. There's uh, old earth creationists. And that's really probably where the camp you're going to find me more in. Uh, if you look at even the Hebrew word yom, which is for day, it's used differently in different parts of Scripture. Sometimes it means a 24-hour period. Sometimes it means a very long period of time. And so uh, we, it, it even says that a day in the eyes of God is different than days in the eyes of man. In Psalms it says it's like a thousand years, although that's not a, uh, a, a metric to be applied. It's just the idea that God views time differently. And that's saying that God created it, but it was over uh, a longer period of time. And then there's people who believe in a theistic evolution, uh, that you believe in the evolutionary process, uh, but you believe God superintended it. And even in that, there's difference. There's people who believe in transspecies evolution, you know, somehow the amoeba uh, becomes a cat, or maybe, let me use a better example, maybe something good like a dog. And <laughs> by the way, in Israel, it is full of cats. Uh, it was my most disappointing thing in the entire journey uh, to the Holy Land. Uh, and in fact, at one point, uh, this doesn't have anything to do with creation, but at one point, uh, uh, I felt my wife's arm just go around me, and it wasn't my wife's arm, it was a cat that was cuddling up to me. Uh, so it was a horrific experience. Anyway, so the, uh, but, but the idea is that uh, one species would become another, and you know, there, there's problems with that because we don't really have the intermediary species. Uh, or some would say there's, species, there's evolution within species. And then there's a non-theistic evolution. Hey, things just happen randomly. Now, if you're, a, if you're someone who's uh, studied probability and statistics, that, that there's, there's problems with that because that one species would be created is almost impossible, let alone all these species that would go together in an environment that would support them. And the only one of those that's incompatible with Christianity is a non-theistic evolution. That, that is incompatible. But otherwise, there are good Christians 
who can hold various beliefs. Here's the important part, Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If you believe that, then you'll find that science and faith is not irreconcilable at all. And then finally, what do we need to know? We need to know God. See, the importance is not just to say, okay, I can reconcile science and faith and philosophy and archaeology and scripture and history. But the point is, is that we would know God, that we would use all of these things to grow closer to God who loves us and created us. It says in 1 Peter 1.3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Will you underline living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So why do I go through all that? Because I just want you to know that it is reasonable to put your trust in God. I've said many times before, faith is going to the edge of what you know and taking one more step. You don't prove God. You just say, the evidence all around me, I would be foolish not to really consider what history and what archaeology and philosophy and theology and scripture and everything about life is pointing towards. And that's God himself. But you see, here's the problem. You can actually not have a strong faith and believe all that. Is if you just stop at knowledge. And that's why it's important to add obedience to knowledge. See, if I know things and I don't operate accordingly, I'll, I'll believe it's not true. If it's, you know, sort of like exercise. If I, if I say, oh, exercise works, but I never exercise, and maybe I don't believe it works. It's just that I haven't really tried it. It says this in 2 Peter 1, 6, and to knowledge, to add self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness. And it's this idea is that I, I'm taking progressive steps. We call it our next right step in our faith. And then finally, don't let the details keep you from the end game. This is really important. See, a, a lot of us, we feel like I have to know every detail before I take a step. Uh, but part of it is understanding God is infinite. God, by his very nature, because he's infinite and I'm finite, I can't expect the infinite to live within the finite. But God will let me know enough to where I can trust him. And maybe for you it's just saying, uh, and hopefully I've reminded you as we've looked at the scripture, that, that there's just there's enough there for me to trust him. And not just to trust him for the first time as Savior and Lord, but to trust him with what you're going through right now. That the same God who rose Jesus from the dead, he loves you, and, and, and he's concerned about what's con concerning to you. And he may work miraculously on your behalf. He may guide someone else into your life. He may walk with you through the deepest challenges. 
And it'll be one of those things that where faith doesn't need to be shaken. Your faith can be strengthened in the midst of it. See, there are certain things that you may never figure out. There are certain doctrines in the Bible. You may never figure out how the Trinity works out and how God can be three and one. Or You may not understand why God says what he says about uh, sexuality or money or even forgiving the people who, who did those things that seem unforgivable. But you can still trust him as you're working through the details. 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, it says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. What's the end game? The salvation of your souls. That God wants to do a work in us, yes, in this moment, but it's a work for eternity. In fact, one of the things I, I love is and, and, and if you've been around here, you've heard dozens and dozens of stories of people who would say, I was on the edge of faith or maybe not even close. But I said, I'm going to give God a chance and just see what he does. In fact, one of those stories I heard uh, recently, uh, a lady named Sydney, she you know, lived well along in life, had kids actually out of the house and had never really taken that step of faith uh, towards Jesus and actually was raised in a household that was not very friendly to that but it was in one of those moments of weakness crisis where she was saying I just I don't have all the resources myself and she said I, I'm gonna I'm gonna see if God is real if he could meet me and maybe that that's where you're at and and I hope if you are, that, that maybe uh, as you hear Sydney's story, that'll be helpful uh, to you. I want you to take a look and, and listen to Sydney's story. My name is Sydney, and I've been going to Timberlake for about three months. Um, I grew up in a very loving home uh, with, I was an only child, and uh, was a, a very charitable home, but a home that was actually what I would consider a little bit hostile towards Christianity. Still deep down in me, there was just this part of me that was drawn somehow to the church and to Jesus. And I, um, but I really kind of, I want to say I kind of swallowed that and pushed that away. I would say the motivation for me searching out Christ and wanting to find a church came from some really upsetting things that were going on in my life. I've had what seemingly was a really perfect life get turned upside down by a couple of, of different, different things. Um, I lost my dad in the fall of 2013 and almost two years to the day I lost my mother in the fall of 2015. In between those Two um, occurrences, I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer. And in the middle of all of this, both of my daughters um, left for school. So in the course of 
two years, my life, my life really got upended. You know, it just kind of felt like one thing after another. I mean, just, you know, you just kind of start climbing up that hill again and then get pushed, pushed back down. I think during all of that, I often felt kind of just adrift, kind of just lost and really needing something to help me and something to, you know, put my hope in. I kind of found out about Timberlake because the campus pastor there, Ronnie Harris, is somebody I've known for many, many years. The first time I went to Timberlake Church, to the, to the Bothell Woodenville campus, I felt very welcomed immediately. There were all kinds of people there greeting, you know, greeting people, saying good morning. You just, you felt it was just very warm and friendly atmosphere. And I sat through the sermon and I checked the box on the little back of the card that said I was going to commit my life to Christ. And I didn't honestly go into church that morning expecting really to, to do that or to feel that way. And uh, I did. I made the decision to follow Jesus because I needed him in my life. It was kind of a gradual process for me, but it was just like, it, it just kind of happened. And I just, all of a sudden, one day was like, this is what I want to do. And there's really been no looking back for me. Even though I still have all of the health situations and family situations to deal with that I had before I accepted Christ, I, I just feel like now I've got somebody who will help me see those things through and I know that whatever the outcome of all of the different things that life throws our way, I feel like I'll be okay because I know that in the end I will walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.